is constrained by the fact that we are not here. God's Spirit is with you. His presence is beside you. So welcome to worship this morning. May you be filled with the sense of God's hand upon you and His Spirit enjoying the worship with you. A special word of welcome if you're visiting with us today. Please, even if you're a, if you're a regular, put a comment in and tell us where you're from. Let us know uh, where you're watching this live stream. And even if you're watching the recorded version, pop a comment in and let us know where you're watching from. And feel free throughout the uh, broadcast to click those uh, like buttons if, you're, if there's a point that resonates with you in the sermon. And it just uh, enables us to, to see the kind of feedback and, uh, and to engage a little bit more with one another. So please do that, put some comments in, and we do our very best to get to those comments. If you've just tuned in, I mentioned that we've had some technical difficulties this morning and I'm not able to show a video or a question page that I had planned to show you. But the two questions I want you to think about is this. How would you explain what a soul is to someone who has never heard the word before? How would you explain what a soul is to someone who has never heard the word before? And then secondly, what would you say might be the condition or the health of your own soul? What would you say might be the condition or the health of your own soul? This morning we are starting on a new sermon series called Soul Keeping, Caring for Our Souls. You'll see a beautiful new banner that Jenny Cunningham has made for us. Spend time caring for your soul. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks as we look at how we take care, how we nurture, and how we care for our souls. If uh, you're joining with us for the first time, you wouldn't know about an um, evening slot on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock called Connecting Conversations. And each Tuesday I interview a special guest and we talk a little bit about the sermon and its application. So pop in on Tuesday on Facebook Live, 7 o'clock, and listen to a half an hour conversation about the sermon. Friends, as we gather in worship... If you are on your own, hear me say this to you. If you are with family or friends, say to one another, the peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. Thank you. Take a moment to greet those with you and know that God's peace rests upon you this morning. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we come before you this morning, it is with hearts that are filled with a sense of awe and wonder at your majesty, at your power, at your love, at your nearness to us. We rejoice, Lord God, that we don't have to go and find you, for you are with us. You have found us. You have reached into our lives. You touch us. You change us. You hold us. You shape us. You mold us. You desire for us to live life where our heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit Work together as one for the glory of your name. You desire us to live lives, Lord, where our heart, soul, body, mind, and spirit are connected in such a way that the lives we live are fulfilling and purposeful and enjoyable and bring to us a sense of, 
of, of hope of being in the kingdom of God. Lord God, this morning as we spend time looking at our souls and how we care for and tend, our, tend to our souls, may you minister to us powerfully. May the words that are spoken reach and connect in our souls. May we know that your spirit speaks clearly to us. May we hear your voice. We ask for your forgiveness for those times when we have ignored your voice and ignored the, the calm words of the Spirit speaking to us. There have been times, Lord, when our souls have been so disconnected from you and from your will, when our hearts and minds and bodies have been at, at loggerheads with each other, where our will has wanted one thing and our body has done another and our mind has said yet another. And our soul knows what your will is. Forgive us for those moments, we pray. Connect us again with you. Allow us to feel the beauty of being at one with you. Allow us to feel the joy of a God who forgives and forgets. The God who unites us in your presence. And so, Lord, may the service of worship be a service that brings you glory today, we pray. May it be a sweet and fragrant offering, and may every part of what we do this morning honor you. We pray these things as together we pray the prayer you taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Friends, as I mentioned, we are starting a new sermon series this morning called uh, Soul Keeping, Taking Care of Your Soul, Spending Time Tending to Your Soul. I want to acknowledge up front also, with our technical problems, I actually had a, a list of the sources that I had used, but uh, I will just mention them that I've used particularly books by John Ortberg, uh, Dallas Willard, and Eugene Peterson, as well as a few others. I heard earlier on in the week, uh, someone said to me, if you take from one person, it's plagiarism, but if you take from many, that's called research. Well, I've done a lot of research in uh, this sermon series, but I am indebted and, and deeply grateful uh, to those authors for the way they write and for their willingness to make the material available for use in sermons uh, around the world. The book, uh, the sermon series is based largely on a book by John Ortberg called uh, Soul Keeping. And uh, as I say, a lot of that book comes out of the wisdom and the teaching of Dallas Willard, who passed away a few years ago. I also want to thank Jenny for the beautiful banner that she's made. Uh, it'll be up there for the duration of our sermon series as a reminder to us to spend time to take care of our soul. Our readings today come from Psalm 42 and then from Mark chapter 4 verses 1 to 8. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? 
My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life, I will say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, the beginning of the well-known parable of the sower. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were there along the shore of the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was so shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Part of our worship is to express our love for God in the gifts that we give Him. Throughout the week, people have dropped off gifts at the office, their offerings and their tithes, as well as many who have been placing their offerings directly into the church's account through online giving. If you'd like to know those details, they're available on our website. And uh, we thank you for your faithful support and your faithful giving to God in worship. As you uh, utilize those details, please mark the description City Offering and feel free to leave your name out and be anonymous for that. But shall we come to God as we give thanks, for, uh, to, give thanks to Him in the offerings that we bring and as we worship Him with what we have? Let us pray. Lord God, as we bring to you these gifts of money in whichever form we have given them. They are a symbol, Lord, that our very lives are for your glory and your honor. We acknowledge, Lord, that everything we have comes from you. And we honor you with what we have. And pray, Lord, that you would take these gifts and use them to be a blessing to others, to continue the work of ministry of this church, to further your mission in this community, 
and to touch the souls of those who seek you desperately. Take these gifts, we pray. And now, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. May your Holy Spirit speak deeply to us, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. In the video that I was going to show you, John Ortberg introduces the theme of soul keeping, and he does so as he sits next to a flowing stream. The stream is very significant in the whole theme of soul keeping. There's a stream flowing down from the mountains in the banner that Jenny made for us. And the reason that that is there is because of a story about a stream that kind of underpins the whole series, that gives a fantastic mental picture of what we are trying to discover or rediscover or um, grow in as we move into the series of soul keeping and taking care of our soul. Caring for the most important part of you is the heading of John Ortberg's book. The story is called The Keeper of the Stream, and it's all about a town high in the Alps uh, that, is, that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. And the stream was fed by springs that were as old as the earth and as deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the, the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as the keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches and fallen debris and leaves that, had, uh, that might pollute the waters. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided that they had better things to do with their money. After all, nobody supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer. And the giving of money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury that they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs were unattended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted at the creek bed. Farm wastes turned part of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed, but after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of the sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the stream that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened. The money was found. The old man was rehired. After a short time, the springs were cleaned. The stream was pure. Children played again on its banks. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul.
and you are the keeper. Dallas Willard writes, Our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and His kingdom, including nature and all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. Therefore, we are in harmony with God, reality, and the rest of human nature, and nature at large. Wow, that is quite a mouthful. That's quite a definition. And if you didn't get it all, don't worry, because I didn't get it all either. I had to read it four or five times before what Dallas was saying actually started to sink in. Luckily for you, you can go back and rewind the sermon when it's finished and uh, listen again to that definition and pick up uh, through the recording as you uh, hear the sermon. Because it is quite complex to try and grasp. The whole idea of a soul is a complex idea to grasp. I asked you those questions beforehand. How would you explain what a soul is to someone who has never heard the word before? And what would you say might be the condition or the health of your soul? And I hope that that generated some thinking for you because the nature of our soul is something that we talk about very comfortably in Christian circles. But when you stop to think about it, when you try to define a soul and try and put it into actual words to state why it's important and why it matters and, and why it should need a keeper or, or why we should be caring for our souls and, and how do we care for ourselves and, and where do we find out what souls need to be healthy? Well, then it all gets just a little more tricky to try and understand. I think that like many Christians, when I was a child, my concept of a soul was defined for me very early on by Daffy Duck and Looney Tunes. You know when Daffy Duck gets blown up by dynamite and uh, then this transparent, translucent, uh, ghost-like image of a, of a duck kind of floats up from his body and this duck has a, a, a white gown on and, and wings and a harp. Even though ducks actually have wings, he's now got another set of wings and a harp and he goes then and floats along to speak to Bugs Bunny who set off the, the charge. That's very often the picture of the soul, this ghostly thing that floats up from us. In uh, the video, which you didn't get to see, John Ortberg says that your soul is the deepest thing about you. It is the eeriest, most mysterious, most evocative, crucial, sacred, eternal, life-directing, fragile but indestructible, these days quite controversial, part of your existence. I'll say that one again. Your soul is the deepest thing about you. It is the eeriest, most mysterious, most evocative, crucial, sacred, eternal, life-directing, fragile but indestructible, these days quite controversial, <coughs> part of your existence. The deepest thing about you. You see, friends, where we begin to start grasping the nature of the soul is when we realize that we are part of God's incredible plan for a life of fruitfulness and faithfulness 
to worship, to serve, to enjoy a life that God planned for us from the start to begin now and continue for all of eternity. The point of our existence is not just to be born and then somewhere along the line make the right decision <clears throat> about accepting God and, and then try and be as good as possible before we die and then some Daffy Duck-like spirit part of us heads off to a, a great big cosmic retirement party in the sky. The soul is so much more than that. God is so much more than that. Life is so much more than that. God has so much more in store for us. And the soul is at the very center of how God sees that life working out. Dallas Willard says, The most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become. That's what you take into eternity. You're an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's kingdom. And your soul is therefore not just something that lives on after your body dies. It is the most important thing about you. It is your life. Inherently, almost naturally, we do actually know this. We may not have had the words to say it, but we do know it because throughout the ages, human behavior betrays the importance we see in the soul. When somebody passes away, one of the very first things that gets said is, may God rest their soul. When I was a child, I, I learned this prayer. You might have learned it too. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. We often talk about the beauty and the art and the beauty of, of art and music. Um, and we'll use the term soul or soulful. The southern slaves in the United States, uh, when they were hungry and made food only from leftovers to survive, they called it soul food, that which nourishes from the very inside out. You can have a strength of soul, no matter the condition of your body. I um, watched an interview earlier on this week in, on, on television with... Uh, Joe Biden, who is the Democrat candidate most likely to be running against Donald Trump in the next U.S. election. And one of the things he said, you know, I'm preparing for the sermon and I'm aware of what I'm saying. He says, the soul of America is at stake. Not the body, not the spirit, not the mind. The soul. It's what's important. It's something that has to be nurtured and cared for. We, we know this inherently. It's the biggest uh, in the biggest stories that movies get made about, highest grossing movies of all time, Lord of, Rings, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Chronicles of Narnia, things like that, the battle between good and evil is the battle actually for the souls of the characters. Bethany Hamilton wrote her life's biography and called it Soul Surfer. We talk about the eyes being the window to the soul. When we talk about love, we speak of the soul. Nobody is out there trying to find their mind mate or their body mate. They're looking for a soul mate. The deepest, most sacred and important part of themselves connecting with someone else's deepest, most sacred, important part of themselves. 
the International Distress Call is SOS, save our souls. And even now, if there's a shipwreck or if there's a crash or even on a, on a plane manifest, they, they talk about how many souls are on board. In church, we sing, bless the Lord, O my soul. And the psalm we heard today is, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, my God. So the importance of, some, of the soul is something that we inherently know, but we know it because it is that part that is made to seek God. It is that part of us that desires connection with Him. He breathed life into our souls. We are made for God. We are made to need God. Our souls are not self-sufficient. They cannot survive on their own. They need God. But knowing of this need, Knowing of the importance of souls is one thing. Knowing what to do with it and actually doing it is another altogether. We do need to change the idea of the soul being something a part of the rest of, from the rest of our life. We will often characterize or judge our life's successes and happiness by the external things that happen in our lives. But when we think of the soul, we think of the soul as being internal and because of it being internal it's easy to separate it it's easy to neglect it it's either easy to kind of push it into a compartment as another part of life despite the importance that we know like the townsfolk thought of the keeper of the stream well we, we don't really see him we can push him out there but the soul is that which actually connects everything it is that which integrates everything. Dallas Willard likens it to a computer operating system. You don't really notice your computer operating system until something goes wrong. But without that operating system, nothing would actually work. He says, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. It isn't your external circumstances, your talents, your abilities, wh what you think you're doing, not your thoughts, not your intentions, not even your feelings, but your soul. Because it correlates, it integrates, and it connects everything together. The soul is the life center of human beings. It is the capacity to integrate body and mind and our wills, our determinations, into one, uh, one single person. Beyond that, it is also our soul that seeks connection with God and connection with others. It's what makes us whole. A healthy soul integrates all of those aspects of life and that life lives then in harmony together. Those aspects, body, mind, and will, live in harmony with one another. An unhealthy soul is one that experiences disintegration where those things are not connected or working well together. A very simplistic example of when things don't work well together would be, for instance, if you're trying to diet and your mind says, I'm going to lose weight, I'm not going to have that chocolate in the fridge. But when you open the fridge, your hand somehow says, my goodness, I'm going to have that chocolate. And the mind and the, and the will have disintegrated. They are no longer connected. 
We do something which our mind doesn't want us to do. Well, the soul, an unhealthy soul, works something like that, where all the parts of the body are not lined up together. They're not working in harmony anymore. Our actions don't line up with what our mind wills. Our bodies are disconnected from our feelings, and there's a, the, the sense of, of self takes over. The, the hope we have of joy and, and being connected to God and His will for us is something which we struggle for. You know when you feel disconnected from God. You know when your body, when the aspects are not working well together. When Jesus says, what does it profit for a person to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? He's not just talking about an, ex an, an eternal destination. He's talking about that soul whose life is disconnected, for whom mind and body and will are disconnected from God and living at odds with each other, living at odds with how God created that life to actually run. For that soul, acquiring the whole world will not bring satisfaction. It will not bring happiness. It will not bring joy. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Forfeit that connectedness. That's why the salvation of souls is not just about where you go, where you die. The word salvation actually means healing or deliverance at the deepest level of who we are in the presence of Jesus. That's what salvation is. It's that complete sense of connection with God where there is harmony between body, mind, and will. And all of that is in harmony with the will of God. That's why even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, there can be strength and peace and wholeness if the soul has been cared for intended to. It's why Horatio Spafford, who lost all of his wealth in, wealth in the great Chicago fire of 1871, he then sent his wife and four daughters on to England while he remained behind. But along the way, the, uh, his wife and daughters, their ship crashed into another. The ship, uh, the crash was so bad, the ship sank in 12 minutes, killing all of the daughters and leaving only the wife as a survivor. She got help, uh, got, she was rescued and immediately got word to him and said, um, all is lost. I have been saved alone. What should I do? He immediately got on a ship and headed to meet up with his wife in England. And uh, as they were sailing over the part of the ocean where the daughters had drowned, where the ship had sunk, the captain told him this was uh, this was the place. And that's when he sat down and wrote one of the most famous hymns which we love to sing. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, there can be strength and peace and wholeness if the soul has been cared for. If we have spent time caring for our souls. As we embark on this series, let me ask you, as I ask myself, is it well with your soul?
Is it well with your soul? Is there a connectedness and a harmony with all aspects of your life and with the will of God? How does that stream look for you? Are you doing the job of the keeper of the stream? Are you tending to the most important part of you? Is every part of you, body and mind and will, integrated and connected and in tune with God's will? Because that's what truly matters. One of the most important parables that Jesus told, in fact, the only parable that he interprets fully for his disciples, he points out some of the ways, some of the things that make our souls unhealthy, some of the things that stop us caring for them. He points out how the world is determined to take our attention away from the care of our souls and to disintegrate body, mind, will, spirit. He tells the story of the sower and the seeds and the soil. And if we take the soil to be the condition of the soul, Jesus says that there are some souls that have been hardened. Like the seed that falls on ground that is so dry, it never even gets a chance. Often the hardened souls are those who have been hurt or disappointed. And the hardness is a, a tightly bound sense of pain or a bitterness and a cynicism suspicion and that hardness almost forms a kind of protective shell around themselves when we think of ourselves as victims when we become so wrapped up in the hurt that we've received that we cannot see the hurt that we are inflicting then we have hardened souls but the good news for the hardened soul is that even the smallest sacrifice of self, even the smallest bit of self-denial can start to break up that hardened soil. And with each little sacrifice, the hardness begins to break more and more and it takes just a little bit of softness for that seed to have a chance. The hardened soul is more vulnerable to being saved than it knows. And then there is the shallow soul where the seed falls on such a thin layer of soil that it cannot take root. And that's when the world conspires to keep our lives superficial. The psalmist cries out against that superficiality. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, my God. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. I pour out my soul. Our souls become shallow when our interests and our thoughts go no further than ourselves. A deep soul is one that empathizes with others, that thinks on a time scale of eternity and not just in the now of self-satisfaction. When you think of people who would be synonymous with a depth of soul, the Mother Teresa's, the Desmond Tutu's, the Pope Francis's of this world, the thing that they hold in common is a lack of self and a sense of others. It takes just the smallest efforts to remove our own needs out of the picture, for the needs of others to come into focus. Such a tiny bit of depth to be giving that seed a chance. The shallow soul is closer to being saved than it knows. And then there's the cluttered soul, where the thorns strangle the seed and this is the condition where the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire of other things choke the soul 
the cluttered soul is the, the easiest danger to fall into because it is so subtle. We get busy. We get attached to the wrong things. And then we mistake clutter for, for life itself. We mistake things for satisfaction. We mistake busyness and activity for lifestyle and happiness. The world is so full of cluttered things that we can have cluttered souls and barely even recognize it. But make no mistake, this soul too is being strangled. But like the others, it takes just the tiniest of uncluttered spaces for that seed to grow. I don't know if you've ever seen, a, uh, sometimes when you walk along a pavement, there might be a crack in the pavement. And uh, if a seed gets into that crack, I have literally seen an entire pavement lifted by the power of that little seed germinating. It'll break apart that concrete. And that's the beauty of this parable as we start on this journey of caring for our souls. Notice what is constant. The soil varies, yes. The condition and the health of the soul varies. But the seed is constant. This is not a story of good and bad seeds. The seed will take root and grow if given half a chance. The seed is just a little picture for us to see God's greatest desire to redeem our souls. The sower is constant. This isn't a story about good or bad sowers. In fact, the very first thing we notice is how generous the sower is in his sowing of the seed. He throws it everywhere. <clears throat> our souls, the very part of us that integrates all of life together, the part that connects all of who we are with God and with others, is so important to God that he will keep sowing and sowing and sowing. It's up to us, to me and to you, to make that soil ready. And the crop that is healed, the life that will be lived, the joy and the satisfaction and the harmonious connection and integration with God is unimaginable in its magnitude. So it is with the healthy soul. To end where we started. So it is with a beautiful, clear, crisp, and fresh stream. But it is up to you and to me, the keepers of that stream. Whatever you may have answered today, as you looked at the question, what would you say might be the condition or the health of your soul, know this, that God is there wanting to generously sow the seeds. He is wanting to answer the call of a longing soul that seeks him like the deer seeks the water. May we long for that. May we tend to our souls. And as we journey through this series, may we find the tools that we need to take care of the most important part of our souls, ourselves, to take care of our souls. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, as we spend time this morning focusing on and, and taking into account the, the sense of what our soul is, the importance of, of that connection and the harmonious living with you. You know, Lord, what each of us have answered with what is the health of our own souls. You know the, the extent to which we feel the, 
the, the integration or the disintegration. You know the extent, Lord, with which we are living with a sense of harmony or a sense of discord. But you also know, Lord, our desire to, to have souls that are like that beautiful, clear stream. Healthy and crisp and clear and, and harmoniously connecting all of our life together. That is our desire, Lord. That's why we are, are watching the sermon this morning. We want that sense of connection with you. And we pray and ask, Lord, that we may see you as that sower scattering the seed. And we may tend to the soil of our souls. That we may make it ready. We may make it right. That we may know that connection. As we start this journey, Lord, connect with us and lead us. Guide us as we seek to take care of the most important part of ourselves. Amen. Friends, I pray that you would be blessed as you head into the week. I pray that the rest of the Sunday may be a time of feeling connected. And wherever you are listening to this or whatever time you're listening to this, if you're picking it up on a podcast, know that you are blessed too. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and those whom we love this day and forevermore. Amen.